All right, so we're doing another tale of the tape episode. This will be like a 50% tale of the tape, I think, and then 50% um, like uh, maybe some facts and stuff, uh, some lists I looked up related to this movie. Yeah, this is a movie that came out in 1984, so I did not see it in the movie theater. I was not uh, of age to see movies in the movie theater at all, especially this. I don't know what it was rated. Uh, and it was released, it was a strange thing for a movie. It's released under a few different titles, depending where, even like, it, and some people say, well, Scoots, this might be just memory. You're misremembering. Uh, but the two titles I remember, the most famous one that I identify with is it was a 1984 movie called Dustbusters with an ass. Uh, and I think there was like, they said, well, this isn't a branding thing. I don't know if the, the product came after it, but that was just a, Dust Buster, uh, which I talked about. There was also another copyrighted name. So this is probably why I didn't catch it. It was called Casper Catchers. And uh, there may have been a third title that I'm not remembering clearly, but the one I remember the most is Dust Busters. And it it had a famous title song, Dust Busters, by Ray Parker Jr., uh, which was a, a hit, which we'll look into that later. Uh, and uh, so, so also associated, it had a cool, no, okay, so what's a dustbuster? Well, this is like a movie that almost invented it, or it was like a, something considered fringe. It's a comedy, 1984 comedy. Oh, and this is a tale of the tape episode, this part. So I'll try to remember the movie plot and talk about my personal experience with it and then I'll yeah then we'll get into some facts uh so uh let's see so I remember the movie cuz it was very well marketed I don't remember if it was a summer or winter movie though I'm guessing it was a summer movie and I'm pretty sure it was a gigantic hit and it swept it swept the nation with uh you know the people singing the song dust busters I was probably first exposed to it through the the music video for the song Dustbusters. Uh, and then there was another kind of pop song towards the end of the movie, uh, which I'm not remembering now. And I don't know if that pop song was in other movies. Uh, so this was a, this is a movie, and it starts off, it's the tale of uh, uh, three friends who become dust, who invent, uh, and I'm saying that, and, you know, it's a fictional movie invent the concept of dust busting and not like in a, you'll, it'll make all sense. You see, well, this, isn't that a cleaner? No, no, no. We're talking about something much more, but, but first let's get the kind con- so it's a, I guess it's a high concept comedy, uh, but it's, it features a uh, Ray Egon who, uh, in the third person, uh, Ray stance, Egon, and uh, Mike, no, I don't know, Bill Murray, but I don't know Bill Murray's character off the top of my head. I'll think of it. Vankman, Peter Vankman. Thank you, brain. That was my index finger that I was squeezing that out of it. I'm not kidding. I said, not hard. I say, well, let me put a little pressure on my index finger. My middle finger, uh, Ray, stance, uh, and my uh, ring finger says Egon. And then later... Uh, they would have another character who, uh, who joins them. But it starts off with the three of them. Initially, I believe the first character we get introduced to is Bill Murray's character, who... Oh, maybe I should talk about my personal relationship with the movie first. Huh? But the movie starts off with... Who is it? Ray Stance? I forgot his name already. Peter Venkman. I think that's who it starts off with. But So I don't. I didn't see this movie in the theater... Maybe I saw it in 1986 or 80, probably in 86. Whenever it came out on, um, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, what's that thing called? HBO. I may have seen the sequel in the movie theater, but even that, I can't be sure. I probably did. And, uh, um, and it was just remade, I think a few years ago now, 86. Uh, there was a remake of Dustbusters, uh, but but so what, one day we'll talk about that. But this is like a tale of the tape to try to get me back into what do I remember? So I remember seeing it and being delighted. It's a delightful movie. 
And, uh, yeah, so I guess that's my basic, I, I'm sure I saw it on HBO. That would have been the only way I would have seen it. And as we'll see, 1984 was like a very good year, uh, for popular things, at least in my opinion, I guess, because I was too young to consume a lot of this stuff. Uh, it was stuff that I thought was cool. Uh, okay. So Dustbusters, it starts off with, uh, uh, what's his name again? Peter Venkman. I believe, and he's not exactly the most sympathetic hero, and especially through today's lens, you'd say he's kind of a, 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 like a jerk, I'd say. Uh, but he's like giving, he's working in some sort of a, a college or university, and he's he's testing out uh, his concepts of uh, sentient dust motes. And sympathetic vibrations and stuff. So he's giving these two college students, one of whom would be in a 19, I believe she would be in a 1984 uh, film, The Karate Kid. Yeah, but not important right now. But um, I think, it, but so he's giving these two students these tests about uh, like parasympathetic, I think parasympathetic uh vibrations parapsychology i think is one of his degrees and he's also kind of just like you say well i'm not sure about this uh, uh peter vankman he's kind of like a, a bit of a i don't know you say hmm, i'm not so sure about him uh, then at some point uh, ray stance oh he's played by uh, bill murray uh, and it, he is like a bit of a wiseacre wisecracker a trickster hero i would say it, then Ray Stance comes in, and uh, Ray is, uh, he kind of plays his character two different ways. For the most part, Ray's kind of like a bit uh, not as uh, on the ball as Peter Venkman, like a bit ch childish, a bit like Scoots. Uh, but every once in a while, you kind of get insight to a deeper, at least in a comedy, uh, side of him. And he's played by Dan Aykroyd, and he comes in, and I think he says, uh, big news, he says something like big news, I got big news, uh, either they got a grant or, uh, they got a, uh, oh no, I think they got to go to the library. I think this, is this that early? They say, he says, we got to go down to the library. Egan's got to, got us a, uh, sentient dust mode. So then even if you did, so if you went into the movie and you didn't know the title, it might even have been more enjoyable or if you didn't know anything about it, because you'd say, wait a second, there's sentient dust motes. Uh, I thought that was just a fringe theory uh, I put forth on one episode of Sleep With Me podcast. And I'd say, no, 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 this is a, like a wide-ranging fringe theory. So you say, there's these, what a better place that would have a lot of dust motes? Oh, it takes place in New York City. So this is at the main branch of the New York Public Library which is featured prominently throughout the movie, New York City. And it's probably one of the reasons I moved there, because it's portrayed in uh, a grand-scale fashion and is kind of a character in the movie, like uh, not a huge, like, yeah, a bit of a character in the movie. Uh, but so they head to the library uh, where Egon's waiting, and, and Egon's like a, listening to a table or something because they say, well, what places are more places filled with dust motes than portions of a library? And they say, these, these, these dust motes have gone sentient and are behaving even anthropomorphic, even. And just like you think, most people say this idea is ridiculous, uh, but these three are into it, or at least uh, Ray... And uh, Egon are into it, and Peter's kind of their friend, and a little bit of a, like a capitalizing, I mean, in, a, in an indirect way. Though I think he believes in it because he's studying these parasympathetic vibrations. Uh, so they go down to uh, where they go to the library. They start looking in. One of the librarians has seen an anthrop, like a, a sentient. Uh, like a dust mode in a human taking human form to try to communicate. And she says, Holy cow, it gave me you no know, sneezes. Uh, and they say, Whoa, whole full. She said, Well, it's floating. You know, it was a dust mode. And they say, Well, that's what dust modes do best is float or, or drift. 
So they go down there, and you see, okay, this is an investigative movie, maybe. So they're investigating the sentient dust motes, which leaves residues and things, as dust motes do, especially as it becomes more concentrated. Then they encounter the dust motes. They get the sneezes, so they say, it's so sneezy, we got to get out of here. And I'm pretty sure, like, after that, so we see, okay, we've seen, not just through their eyes, but through our own eyes, that the sentience of dust motes, we've also seen through other characters' eyes. And then we go back to university, and they're fired, I think, is the next thing that happens, is uh, they say, the university says, you lost your grants, you're all fired, you're, like, this is a fringe theory, uh there is no dust, you know, there is no sentient dust motes. And I think, let's see, after that, uh, I, I like, uh, I think there's like a scene with uh, Ray and uh, Peter talking and, and right after they get fired, what are we going to do? And Peter's like, well, we got the world's our oyster now. It's going to be okay, but Ray, you know, Peter's been an academic his whole life where Ray's like, I've worked in the real world. It's not for me. And at, at some point, Peter comes up with the idea. I, think, I don't know if it's right here. There's a lot of well-done montages in this movie. Uh, but so at some point, they come up with it. He says, okay, what about dust busting? And, and they say, like, uh, we could do this as a job or something like that. It was a business. We could make money. I think it's when the idea of making money uh, they initially uh, uh, gets uh, Peter Peter Bankman's attention. And Ray and Egon are in it for the, the love of, uh, of uh, just the conceptually exploring the idea of sentient dust motes. And that there's a variety of them because there's a variety of dust. There's a variety of moting. There's emoting. There's demode, you know, there's floating. And so then I think starts, a, I don't know if it's a musical montage. Maybe it's just a series of shots or quick scenes. They borrow the money, third mortgage on Ray's house. They uh, rent a fire, old firehouse. Uh, this is in 1980s New York, so it's a little bit more like a, pictured in a rundown way, the firehouse. We see more of uh, Ray's childhood. Uh, tendencies they rent a uh, an old-fashioned ambulance uh, to uh, use to catch to, to get then they're getting their equipment uh, their uniforms uh in that thing in those series of shots then they're running a television commercial uh, they're hiring annie potts i'm not sure annie potts is character or if i'll remember it uh yeah, but, uh, you know, they, they say, okay, then they get their first job. You think this is how it happens. Now, meanwhile, somewhere interspersed in here is Sigourney Weaver's character and Rick Moranis' character, two unrelated, for now, New Yorkers. Uh, Rick Moranis' character is an accountant who lives on the same floor in the same apartment building as Sigourney Weaver's character, who is a cellist in the... In I guess the New York Philharmonic, because we see shots at Lincoln Center. And I, I think she's a cellist. She could be a bassist in a jazz band. You know, she could just be a busker, but I think she's a cellist in the Philharmonic. And what are those characters' names? That's a great question. Uh, Dana and uh, Lewis, I think, yeah. Uh, so in, you see Rick, Rick's, Rick Moranis' character, He's an interesting, it's really well portrayed because it has some nuance to it because he's kind of a little, a little bit geeky, but he's terribly outgoing. And I mean, in a positive way, terribly positively outgoing, like having parties, uh, talking to Dana. I think there may be a crush there, like he may have a crush on her, but it's not portrayed in a, like a, like a sloppy way. It's like, oh, maybe he's just super friendly. And she seems to be more introverted. I mean, that could be one way to read it. It's just he's an extrovert, she's an introvert, and he's always trying to get her to hang. I think that is more it, because it didn't really have the flavor of romance to me. And she's like, you know what, I just want to go in my apartment and, and hang, you know, hang with myself. And she actually sees the ad for the Dustbusters uh, at some point, uh, 
And okay, so that's one, uh, uh, whatever B plot or whatever. It's not because it intersects pretty quick. But then we also see that they're not getting any jobs. They're running out of cash. Andy Potts is fed up with them. And then they get their first big job at a fancy hotel in New York. I'm not sure if it was a plaza or what, but an old money New York hotel where they go and they go, not only do we have a, you know, a, a giant dust moat to bust, uh, but it's one that's like picked up, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got like a goo, it's a goopy one. So they say, don't worry about it. We're, we're going to bust this dust. Uh, you know, back off, man. I'm a dust buster. I think they say back off. I'm a scientist. Uh, there was license plates you could get in Lucky Charms or uh, Sugar Smacks. That said, back off me, man. I'm a dust buster. But so, uh, what happens? Uh, so they, uh, what happens next? Uh, oh, they bust this dust. Uh, the sl- Slimer, it becomes the nickname of this one. And this character would become a uh, main character in their cartoon and in the toys. Like a small part, but really, whoever, whatever actor was portraying this uh, slimy dust mode. In really advanced uh, special effects, because uh, it looked real. You see, that looks like real slimy dust mode, uh, personified even. They end up like making a big mess at this hotel, but they get it done. And at first, the hotel doesn't want to pay. They say, hey, we can leave the dust behind, man. It's sentient, by the way. They say, no. So we see that they kind of catch the dust in these electronic Dutch dust catchers. We also get exposition that, uh, they have these giant dust collecting beams, like laser pro- proton packs on their backs. Uh, that's from uh, Ghostbusters 2. That's a Bobby Brown song. Uh, but they still did have pro- proton packs on their backs uh, to bust the dust. Like, I think that maybe, I don't know if it's like ionization or magnetization. I don't know that stuff. But uh, so they do do that. Uh, Oh, but, whoa, so Egan says when they're first using, this is the first time they're using their equipment. He says, don't cross the streams, because if you do, it'll reverse uh, all, you'll be de-atomized. So whatever you do, don't do that. And they say, okay. And he says, remember that for the rest of the movie. They say, got it. Uh, Bust the dust, but don't cross the streams. Uh, but soon then they end up getting uh, that dust busted or whatever. They they clear out the hotel. They go back. Uh, they lie. They, they like uh, they they have a place to store the sentient dust motes. The ethics of that is never discussed. But since I watched that a good place, I was like, huh? Ethically, uh, what is what is it? You know, wh- wh- whom do we owe? Uh, I would say. Uh, but, you know, they, that doesn't come up. But so what else? Uh, so there's that. Uh, okay. Now I'm, I'm uh, oh, no, then there's Sigourney Weaver's character, Dana, right? Uh, she goes home from shopping, and she realizes, like, uh, that there's hints of a dust moat in her apartment. There's strange things, you know, dust residue, uh, dust whispers is another thing. When they say dust on the wind, and they sang that song, they meant it. That was probably about the whole, you know, uh, dust mote thing. But they, she she thinks, is there dust in my apartment, dust motes or sentient dust motes becoming personified? And she's kind of skeptical, but this is like barely to be denied. Because she opens her fridge in this dust mode is like doing some routine about the gozers uh, and saying, do you know the gozers uh, from Fraggle Rock? Uh, they're coming. Like we want to, we're going to work with the gozers. They're construct, they're going to construct a world for dust motes uh, to live. Uh, and she says, well, that's strong. That is strange. I better call these dust busters. And actually she goes in because then we see kind of Ray or, uh, this is right when they need, they're like, oh boy, we're out of money or whatever. Uh, maybe it's after the first success, but whatever. She goes in, she meets Peter. He goes back, looks into it, but we kind of say, Peter, man, what are you doing? Uh, you're supposed to be dust and bust and not uh, being irritating to your customers. Uh, and 
So then, uh, what happens after that? Then there's a montage, I think, uh, of the, the going up, the story of the Dustbusters, uh, success after success after success. And that they keep getting more and more successful, but it does come at a cost. They get tired. And so then at some point they hire Winston or played by delightful played by Ernie Hudson, uh, Jr., I believe. And they hire Winston. But they're still successful, but they're getting a little haggard. And we start to get this idea that the dust activity is increasing. And uh, I think that's, let's see, you're trying to think what what happens next. Uh, If there's like a train, like, so they're on their high point, right? Uh, And I know what comes when they they crest and they start to go down, but I'm trying to think if there's any one... you know, they get, they're on all the magazine covers, including Omni, which was this cool science magazine I always dreamed of subscribing to. A bit like Wired, uh, but before Wired. Um, I wonder if they could get back issues of that somewhere. Um, but so, let's see. I'm trying to think. So there's the montage. There's even Casey Kasem doing countdowns. Oh, we see that uh, Dana had kind of left things like after Peter was kind of like uh, not super professional. She was like, you know what? I'll figure out my dust on my own. She goes, I remained skeptical or that it was a one-time, you know, event or it was my imagination that it was the dust motes. Uh, so then I guess there's two things that happen at the same time. The, the dust activity is obviously going up and... Uh, uh, the ghosts, the dustbusters are put, kind of put to their uh, limit, and then uh, bureaucracy gets in the way. In this case, it's the form of the EPA, who says uh, this character, uh, I don't know what his name is, uh, Mr. Jerk, will say. He says, uh, hey, uh, first he goes in with Peter, Peter challenges him. He says, uh, He's not very, he doesn't have good social skills. So he says, I'd like to see, you know, him and Peter go back and forth. And Peter tricksters him, but in a way that leaves a bad taste in his mouth. He says, I need to know what you're doing, how you're storing the dust and the moats. And also he represents a skeptical viewpoint that dust would be just, people could clean their own dust. There's no such thing as sentient dust moats. That's silly. Just with dust moats blowing around and people projecting meaning onto them. So, uh, what happens, uh, uh, there must be something in between. There's like, uh, you get to see a little bit of growth in Winston, Ernie Hudson and him becoming part of the team and more and more work and Ray looking cool and Egon looking, uh, concerned. Yeah. Then there's one more scene where, uh, okay. Yeah. Then there's another scene where, uh, uh, Ray, no, who's that? P- Peter kind of makes one more. He says, uh, goes to Dana's work, uh, waits for her when she gets done with practice. He's dancing around in Lincoln Center while other people are roller skating. And he says, come on, like, uh, maybe, he goes, maybe, like, uh, let's hang Netflix. You know, remember when there was Netflix and chill were a thing? That'll be in, he goes, in 20, 20 years, actually, 20, 2014. Or 30 years, whatever, how many ever many years? He says, uh, why not do it now? And she says, well, okay. So she says, maybe later. Uh, I feel like I'm missing one other segment. Uh, but we see then he goes to visit her. The EPA comes and they shut down the power for the dust containment, which causes the dust to shoot all over New York City, sentient dust mode dust. And not just dust, obviously. Other things gathered in the dust. So some of the parts are greater than the whole. And that shoots all over New York. Uh, and then at the same time, I think tr- that's a trigger, a triggering event. Uh, Dana, she gets, she, she like inhales this dust to dust motes and she like kind of uh, becomes a medium for dust mode communication. Uh, as does Lewis, uh, he kind of runs around uh, trying to get away, and he finally he gets uh, he gets gets breezed in the dust, and he becomes uh, the key master and the lock locksmith or something. I can't remember. I think he's the key master. 
he gets brought to Ghostbusters headquarters, I think before the EPA came. And they say, this is weird. We've never seen this. He's a, he's like a medium for communication of dust modes. Uh, Egon does this. He says, something big's coming. A lot of comedy in here, too. <laughs> you know, obviously, it's not coming across. Uh, so we kind of see these pieces of the puzzle of the mystery being unpacked, too. And Ray's trying to understand what what is it with the building. Then we see that Dana's also become a medium for dust moting. And he says she's the uh, locksmith. And they say, oh, we've got the key master here. So they say, okay, and they live in the same building. So they say, okay, wait a second. This is starting to make sense. Uh, that's when the EPA shows up. Then all the dust goes over all over the city. And this kind of slowly leads, you know, the cards start to fall. Like, uh, then all of the, there's a montage of the reverse of the, uh, the Dustbusters saving the city from uh, sentient dust motes. And we see sentient dust motes, including Slimer and other ones, running around having a great time in a way that's undeniable, that it's, like, uh, real. Then we have... Uh, uh, the the dustbusters themselves are uh, they get a timeout with serious timeout, and but they're still trying to solve the puzzle. They're still on the du- they're still busting dust. So you have a cute scene where they're uh, go- trying to unpack the last phases of the mystery, and then uh, they get called to the mayor's office, and there's uh, an extra scene. I guess kind of makes sense to say that this is undeniable. You got the mayor's advisors, you got the cardinal or the bishop or something, and everybody's saying, "What is happening?" There's dust. There's sentient dust motes everywhere, impersonified in anthropomorphic forms, and other things. Uh, they say this is a uh, not. And he said, the mayor says to them, can you do something about it? And they say, of course we can. We bust dust. You just got to bust the EPA off our backs. And the mayor says, well, I'm not sure. And then Peter, who is the kind of salesperson, says, uh, if we don't succeed, it doesn't matter. But if we do, mayor, you're the hero. And I don't know who played the mayor, but when I first saw the movie, I was positive it was the real mayor of New York City. Now, looking back, I think it was just an actor. Because uh, probably that might have been, I don't know if that was when Ed Koch was running uh, in New York or a little bit before. Uh, so then we have the final sequence. In this one, it starts off with this victory sequence in a good way. In a really way, the the the, 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 the bookends of this sequence are delightful. I can't imagine shooting them. They're all on location in New York with tons and tons of extras. And it's New York celebrating New York and other New Yorkers succeeding and saving New York from sentient dust. So the Ghostbusters are greeted to a hero's welcome as they go back to Dana and Lewis's building, which is where the Gozers are going to come, or the Dozers or whatever. And if I, well, because the mystery they uncover is that uh, the sentient dust modes are working with the Dozers from a show called, uh, which are these little construction characters, from a show called Fraggle Rock, and they they build stuff, and they've Dustmotes and the Dozers are going to build a world on top of our world for Dustmotes and Dozers to live. It wouldn't li- leave a lot for us humans, you know. And I can't. Oh, Zool's the one in charge of all this, I think. Because uh, uh, and then also there's a sequence that shows before all this happened uh, the keymaster and the locksmith uh, joining powers to open the doors for Zool, who fully Zool's like the the uh, foreman of the dozers, I guess, uh, fully embodies Dana. Uh, so that happens. Uh, so then, oh, then the Ghostbusters shove. They say, okay, we're gonna dust some bust here. Then as they're about to go in the building, there's like a rock and roll thing. And we think that, oh, the, are the Dustbusters lost? But no, it's just a little playing. And then the ch- crowd's cheering them on. Uh, then they go up to the top of the building and they they have to go up the stairs. So, so it's really like uh, slowly fed out to us in a good way. And they face off with uh, the the do, uh, with Zool, who's Sigourney Weaver, I think. Uh, 
And they say, uh, oh, you know, the dozers are coming. That's it. It's, you're going to lose. And they say, we're going to bust some dust. Uh, so they have like a little bit of a duel with the dust busting and her, her jumping and flipping around. And they're not really effective at stopping. And then uh, the dozer, uh, Zul says, uh, choose uh, how the dozers are going to come take everything over. What What is going to be the... Uh, the one that does the leveling of the earth, you know, of the human stuff, so we can build the dozer world on top of it. And they say, you could, whatever you think of. And then they say, Peter's like, clear your minds and we'll be fine. But Ray thinks of something and then they play it out for comedy and it's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, a bit like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Uh, like a 30 foot marshmallow man starts walking through New York, stepping on stuff. It goes to get the Dustbusters. They go, you know, back and forth, and they, they say, all is lost. You know, this is the part of the movie where heroes rise. They say, there's no way to, to stop this, to bust this dust. Uh, it's become a marshmallow person. They have powers greater than dust, uh, sympathetic vibrations, the whole nine yards, and the dozers. And they say, well, what's the only thing we could do that would be where we, you know, we're the heroes? Uh, What's the riskiest move we can make across the streams? All four of us, uh, that'll reverse the polarity and magnetize the dust and the dust will all just drop to the ground probably. And we could just vacuum it up or won't work out either way. We're probably, you know, it's not going to work out for us, but we're heroes. Uh, bada bing, bada boom. They do it, uh, and it works. Uh, all the dust gets, you know, kicked up and then drops down with like a whatever ionic charge or whatever, how those things work. Pre-HEPA filter this time. And uh, they're heroes. First you say, well, are they all right? Where's Dana? Where's Lewis? Everybody's okay. Then they go downstairs to another, the bookend, another hero's welcome. All the New Yorkers cheering. Really looked like all the actors and actresses were having a great time. And it kind of ends the movie with these great shots in New York and cheering and the car driving and uh, the two songs play in, in those different sequences, uh, uh, whatever, uh, Dustbusters and, uh, I don't know, Heroes in, in, I can't remember the other song, uh, uh, but, but in, in, yeah, that's, that's the end of the movie. And I think I've read a lot of stuff about, uh, uh, Dustbusters in the past. It was, uh, let's see, though, I'll just go through some stuff. Uh, it was uh, written by, it was directed and produced by uh, Ivan Reitman, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, uh, starring them. Uh, well, we, we know that. Uh, uh, Aykroyd originally conceived the project for himself and uh, John Belushi. Uh, them uh, busting dust through time and space, and Ramis and uh, he rewrote the script uh, after Belushi visited the big farm. And uh, Raymond also said the original version is not financially practical. It was released June eighth, nineteen eighty four. Positive reviews grossed two hundred forty two million in the U S. and three hundred mil almost worldwide. Uh, it was nominated for Best Visual Effects and Best Original Song. AFI ranked at 28th out of 100 years of laughs. Uh, 100, you know, uh, it uh, was selected for the preservation of the National Film Registry. And it had uh, different animated series of video games in the 2016 reboot. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the development we kind of went through. Pre-production, we went on to do casting. Uh, John Candy was also in it, uh, possibly. Uh, Louis Tully was originally conceived as a conservative man in a business suit to be played by Candy, but Mor Moranis instead portrayed Louis as a geek. Uh, the Dozers were originally supposed to come in in the form of Evo Shandor, uh, unremarkable man in a suit played by Paul Rubens. Uh, but that ultimately went to uh, Slavita Jovan and the voice provided by Patty Edwards, uh, 
According to Ernie Hudson, an earlier version of the script had his character in a larger role with an elaborate backstory as part of the Air Force. Uh, he was excited and took the job for half his usual salary, but his role was reduced because uh, Reitman said the studio wanted to expand Murray's role. Uh, but he could, so he was a little bit let down. Uh, but I think he was just—he—I think he was a great character. He added a lot of humanity and excitement from the outside. And actually, he's like he plays this key thing with the mayor because he says this stuff's real. So he speaks for the audience. Uh, it was filmed in Manhattan in October 20, 19, 1983, uh, at Columbia, uh, and uh, they, they didn't want to be identified at Irving Bank uh, uh, the, in Tribeca, 55 Central Park West, uh, other Manhattan, New York Public Library, Columbus Circle, Waldorf Restoria Hotel, Tavern on the Green, uh, locals didn't like it, uh, but, but uh, they had they had one night to dress the street in one neighborhood. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of people that weren't happy. Uh, Aykroyd ran into science fiction writer Isaac Asimov, uh, who Aykroyd idolized, uh, and Asimov was not happy uh, about the traffic jam. Uh, but then they said... Uh, Infectious energy was everywhere. Upbeat vibes seemed to buoy the production schedule, and they finished two and a half days earlier, which we could kind of see that. Like, uh, uh, I think it was a love letter to New York and New Yorkers. Uh, that's uh, when we came down covered in marshmallow. There was crowds. That, yeah, that's like the end of the movie. Uh, some things were filmed in Burbank, Los Angeles Central Library, Biltmore Hotel. Uh, so that's it. Critical response was good. Ebert, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars out of four. Uh, movie is an exception to the rule that big special effects can ruin a comedy. And it's provided many quotable lines. So that's a little bit about uh, that. I just wanted to look in 1984, though. Because uh, it had it like, uh, like, I was like, oh, who's what movies came out in 84? Other than this, it ends up it was a quite a year for film. Here's some of the Sunday movie or summer movies. This is from IndieWire. Uh, from their staff, June June, June 5th, uh, 2014. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. June 8th, uh, Ronald Reagan went to a London Celtics beat the Lakers. Uh, pressure like Petty out the biggest jackpot. Uh, time after time, time after time. Oh, Dustbusters and Dremlins, another movie about, uh, uh, just Dremlins. I don't know. They both came out. That was a week after Once Upon a Time in America, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Fun, uh, then followed by Karate Kid and Top Secret. So here's the, like, their 30, like, Bolero was a Bo Derek movie. I don't know that one. Cannonball Run 2, I definitely saw that on uh, um, uh, more than a few times on HBO when I started uh, the late Burt Reynolds. Uh, best best uh, Defense, I never heard of that one. Uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, Dudley Moore in it. Uh, C-H-U-D, I've seen that. I think I've seen that movie. Breaking, I've definitely seen Breaking 2. Pretty sure I've seen Breaking uh, Sheena, uh, that was Tanya Roberts' movie I'm unfamiliar with. Rhinestone, that's uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, Dolly Parton. Uh, not familiar with that one either. Oxford Blues, I remember, I don't think I saw this one, but I always wanted to. It was uh, a solo vehicle for Rob Lowe, who had just broken out big, uh, trying to win over the woman of his dreams. Uh, so Conan, Conan, the buddy, buddy, I definitely saw that also. Uh, cause, uh, I think Grace Jones was in that James Earl Jones. Uh, I think, or maybe that was the uh, first one. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely saw that Grandview USA. I don't know that one. C. Thomas Hall, Patrick Swayze, Jamie Lee Curtis. 
Star Trek Three: Search for Spock. I saw that in the theater probably a couple of years later. Uh, but that was a classic. Bachelor Party, before The Hangover and Wedding Crashers. This was a Tom Hanks movie. I definitely saw that because I wasn't supposed to. Uh, and uh, Philadelphia Experiment. I don't think I saw that. Uh, Beach Street. Uh, I don't think I saw that one. That's a breakdancing movie. Uh, then a, a movie, a starter of uh, Warmth uh, with Drew Barrymore, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. That was an 84 movie, huh? That's a, a cult classic. I've seen that quite a few times, but not lately. Uh, Dreamscape, A Tightrope, uh, Under the Volcano. Still, okay, so some of these I just don't know. Uh, Red Dawn. Oh boy, did I see that movie a few times. Uh, another classic, Purple Rain. Oh boy. Uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. Now we're talking. Uh, uh, Streets of Fire. I don't know what that one is. Uh, yeah, I don't know that if I've seen that one. Uh, the Natural. That was a very famous. The Bounty. I think I read that book. I don't think I've seen the movie. Last Starfighter. Oh, boy. That was another one i seen. That was a great one when I was a kid. Revenge of the Nerds. I would have thought that was like an 82 movie, but uh, definitely, uh, I mean, I, I've seen that movie and love it. Sixteen Candles. Holy mackerel. That came out May 4th. Uh, Top Secret. I would have thought this came out in like ninety. It's a parody of spy movies. I guess I'll have to re-watch re it. Uh, I really thought it came out uh, much later. Uh, but it was made by the Zucker brothers uh, who made Airplane and a ton of other great uh, uh, great movies. Karate Kid came out on June 22nd. Wow. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Fun, which was the first PG-13 movie. Uh, then, uh, Dremlins, uh, uh, that was, uh, that's a classic, Dustbusters, and then Once Upon a Time in, uh, uh, America, and this is a Sergio Leone movie, Once Upon a Time in the West is like, uh, pretty much like a Western classic, uh, and I don't think, I, I must have to, I, if I've watched this, it's been a long, long, long time. It's headed to Blu-ray, or maybe it came out on Blu-ray already. Uh, so definitely worth checking out. Okay, and I just wanted to run. I guess I won't run through the rest of the movies. That's a pretty good list. But there's a lot of other great ones. I'll, I'll include the link. But listen to this Billboard uh, year-end Hot 100 for 1984. When Doves Cry by Prince, What's Love Got to Do with It? Tina Turner. Say, 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 Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, Footloose by Kenny Loggins. Uh, there is a, a Spotify playlist for this. I looked it up. Uh, Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now, Phil Collins. Uh, Jump, uh, Van Halen. Hello, Lionel Richie. Hello, Lionel Richie. Owner of Lonely Heart, yes. Uh, Ghostbusters uh, or Dustbusters by Ray Parker Jr., Karma Chameleon, Culture Club, Missing You, John Waits, All Night Long, uh, Lionel Richie. Let's hear it for the boy. That's my karaoke song, for real. That's the song I do in karaoke. It's Denise Williams, Dancing in the Dark, Bruce Springsteen, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Cindy Lauper, The Reflex, Duran Duran, Time After Time, Cindy Lauper, A Jump for My Love, The Pointer Sisters, Talking in Your Sleep. This is the first song I don't know uh, off the top of my head. Uh, Self by the Romantics. Self-Control by Laura Branigan. Let's Go Crazy by Prince and the Revolution. Say It Isn't So, All in Oats. Hold Me Now, Thompson Twins. Joanna, Cool and the Gang. I just called to see, can you believe this? Uh, I just called to say I love you, uh, Stevie Wonder. Somebody's keeping an eye on me, Rockwell. Break My Stride. Uh, Matthew Wilder, 99 Found Balloons or whatever, Nina, I Can Dream About You, Dan Hartman, I don't know that one either, The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. 
Oh, Sherry, uh, Steve Perry, uh, stuck on you, Lionel Richie. He had a good year. Holy cow. I guess that's why they call it the blues. Elton John, Shebop, uh, Cindy Lauper, Borderline, Madonna, uh, Sunglasses at Night, Corey Hart. I'll just do the top 50. Eyes Without a Face, Billy Idol. Here Comes the Rain Again, Eurythmics, Uptown Girl, Billy Joel. That was a song for one of our dance recitals. Uh, Sister Christian, I used to sing that to some of the nuns in middle school and get in trouble. Uh, Night Ranger, Drive the Cars, Twist of Fate, Olivia Newton-John, Union of a Swirly Swirl, Duran Duran, Heart of Rock and Roll, Huey Lewis and the News, Hard Habit to Break, Chicago, The Warrior, Scandal, If You're in My Arms Again, Peebo Bryson, Automatic by the Pointer Sisters. Let the music play. That's by Shannon. I would have guessed that was Sheila E. too. To all the girls I've loved before, Julio Iglesias, Iglesias and Willie Nelson. It still gets better, though. Caribbean Queen, Billy Ocean. Uh, that's all Genesis. Running with the Night, Lionel Richie. Sad songs say so much, Elton John. I Want a New Drug, Huey Lewis in the News. And so the rest of them are on there too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, get in, you know, let me, uh, I'm the dream, du- I'm the sleep duster here. Uh, good night. Hey, I want to thank everybody for the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Mattatel, uh, boyfriend, uh, love this podcast, got me through many nights, uh, with a lot of stuff, uh, it's great when I wake up from stuff that wakes me up, helps me back to reality, and then bores me back to sleep. Scoots can be uh, funny at times with his dry humor, which puts me in a pleasant mood to fall asleep. So thank you for that. This is from Crafting, Crafting Pfeiffer. It was one of my favorite rom-cons of uh, 1994, Crafting Pfeiffer. It was one of those, uh, you know, Pygmalion tales or whatever. The best yawns. I think it was Michael, uh, you can't remember who starred in that. Uh, you think the same Dr. McDreamy or whatever was in Crafting Pfeiffer, but then he was in a parental role. It was a real you know, reinvention of uh, maybe a, a new take, uh, slightly different take. Anyway, the best yawns from Crafting Pfeiffer, the reviewer, not the movie. Oh, no, that was Crafting Piper, because that was the name of the young woman in the movie. Anyway, the best yawns. I've been a listener for over a year now. I have to admit that sleeping with Scoots has changed my life. Uh, my brain doesn't have its own off switch, and having a scooter in my ears does the magic I need to fall asleep. Uh, I've been a patron for a while now and would happy, happy, happily continue to be one, if only for the comforting chair episode. If a regular sleep with me doesn't do it, comforting chair always does. Thanks for the sleep scooter. Thanks, uh, crafting. How about this one? Speaking of filmmaking, this is from Francis Autour. Uh, love it, but find the style, style of story that works the best for you. I've been using sleep with me for a few weeks, uh, a few times a week for a couple of years, and I'm also a patron. 95% of the time works great for me. But I found some genres of episodes work better than the others. For example, the TV recaps put me out right away. Yeah, but the ones recorded outside do not, so I avoid them. So when Scoot says, uh, sometimes it takes a few times to work, uh, for me that means uh, finding the style of episodes that works better for you. Uh, UGGY says, so good. Before... Before this, I never really wanted to go to sleep. I'd stay up most nights on my phone or playing games uh, because it could average four to five hours of sleep a night and feel fine until it hit, you know, until it caught up with me. And then I'd sleep for a while. Uh, this pattern didn't work for me until this podcast around, came around. I had no motive to sleep as I wanted to uh, you know, make the most of my awake time. Thank you. Thank you, Why? That's a great review, actually kind of exposes a different way I can relate is uh, to say, oh, I'm not going, you know, I got to other stuff to do. Uh, this one says, huh, three stars. Not a, we don't really get three star reviews often. This is from Hey, it's uh, S to the H, uh, who says the story is nice, but the voice could be a little smoother, in my opinion. Uh, that's, an, that's a balanced way to say it. I love what he's that he's doing what he loves, though. 
Uh, thanks, uh, Sam. Yeah, d- d- uh, these, these are creaky dolls. It's our smooth voice podcast. Uh, unfortunately, that's not my territory. Uh, Maddie Zeb two four seven says a hundred percent works. I always fall asleep before the intro, and, and so they're from the UK. Thank you, Maddie Zeb. Uh, Gus C says nap fuel. My entire life I had trouble napping, but to my amazement, this podcast puts me straight to sleep. And most other sleep aid audios seem to focus on techniques of relaxation, breathing, etc. And those types don't work that well for me. But this podcast gets to the heart of the issue with the mind. Instead of trying to relax your body, it creates a drone to lull, confuse you, and subdue your monkey mind. Give it a try. Two or three, says Gus. And finally, travel bug 006006 says, this really works. At first, I was skeptical, but it works every time. I'm asleep within minutes. Uh, So that's everybody. Thank you so much for reviewing the show over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can do that within your Apple Podcasts app on your phone or on iTunes on your desktop. And I really appreciate everybody does. You can also, if you say, well, Scoot said I already wrote a review, you can actually check whether reviews are useful or not. and that's helpful, especially getting some of the more newer reviews up, because some people see it in the reviews that are most popular are kind of older. Or if a review is just written, you know, people can write negative reviews, but uh, sometimes people write them in this unrelated to the kind, you know, it's just in, in like a, their knee was, you know, JRKing without actually listening to the whole episode or understanding it. Uh, they just said, well, let me listen to this, and uh, oh boy. It was dissonant from what I expected immediately, and I'm not, you know, so you could say, oh, that review really isn't helpful, where this negative review is actually helpful, you know, whatever you wish. But thank you for everybody for doing that. Sleep With Me is a listener-supported show. Uh, listeners support the show directly on Patreon by spreading the word and other means, and they also by supporting the sponsors, you're directly supporting the show. Uh, so thanks to everybody that does that, makes that possible. Remember, Night Vale Presents, you can find all the amazing shows they do. Lots of new stuff happening over at nightvalepresents.com. And uh, what else? Uh, Night Vale Presents. Um, uh, mind you, just uh, went a little fuzzy-wuzzy on me. And, uh, oh, remember PRX, prx.org. You can check out everything they're doing there. And next year, let me get you, let me tuck you in a little bit, uh, air, air you out. Yeah, get some fresh air. Let me open that window a little smidge or close it. Uh, okay, consider it done. And if you need me, I'll be here. I got uh, 299 other episodes uh, waiting in the queue for you. Uh, good night.